Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. We've been involved in this parabolic series now since early September, and um, someone thought, actually thought I made the word parabolic up. I am capable of making words up. Uh, but actually, uh, when we talk about the parabolic teachings of Jesus, we're talking about teachings that are based in the parables that Jesus told. And uh, from the very beginning, we've talked about how Jesus said, if we will focus on the parables with an attempt to understand their meaning, that we will hear things that we had not heard heretofore, that we will see things about God, in particular his kingdom, we hadn't seen before. And if we allow those things to affect us, and if we turn, then we will understand things about God and his kingdom with our hearts, and we will be healed. That's what Jesus said in his explanation of why he taught in parables. If we focus, we'll hear, see, we can turn, we can understand with our hearts, and we can be healed. We can live the abundant full, flourishing life that God dreamed for us. So that's why we've been digging into the parables. And today we're teaching about the parable of the unjust judge. I've heard this described. I read a scholar this week who said this is perhaps the most difficult parable to unlock. Uh, And um, I, I find it interesting and I think very relevant. I think that we're going to discover today that what Jesus said in telling this story and what he said in response to telling this story some 2,000 years ago is extremely relevant for our lives. So let's just, let's read the parable. Uh, Luke chapter 18 verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Probably not the kind of judge that you want to stand before. In a certain town, Jesus said, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The Lord said, listen, now Jesus now is going to, he told the story, now he's going to make application. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, which is, even though I don't fear God or care for people, I'm going to give this woman justice or else she's going to keep bothering me. In fact, I'm afraid of her. I'm afraid she's going to attack me. Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And, verse 7, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So we're going to get at this several ways, um, but first, let's talk about how that this widow turned victimization into agency. This widow 
turned victimization into agency. This widow had clearly been victimized in some way. We're not sure how, but it probably had something to do with money or property. This was pretty typical at that time. Uh, It was not unusual for a widow at that time to be exploited in some way, and particularly as it concerns money and property. One of the sources that I've referred to a good bit over the last couple of months is Klein Snodgrass in his wonderful book called Stories with Intent, which is a scholarly treatment of the parables. And this is what he says about widows, widows as a group, um, which spoke both to um, uh, the, the specific time in which Jesus lived, but which pretty common in the ancient world and not just the time and place where Jesus lived. But specific to the time and place Jesus lived, widows were easily recognized by their distinctive attire, which indicated their status. Everyone knew who a woman was because of how she dressed. Since women married in their early teens, widows were numerous, but not necessarily old. In other words, at that time, uh, women would marry very young, uh, even in their teenage years, and they would marry men uh, a good bit older than them typically, and consequently there were a lot of widows. Widows were often left with no means of support. If her husband left an estate, she did not inherit it. Although provision for her upkeep would be made, if she remained in her husband's family, she had an inferior, almost servile position If she returned to her family, the money exchanged at the wedding had to be given back. Widows were so victimized that they were often sold as slaves for debt. We could go on and on and on, but really that line kind of says the point I want to make at least at first, which is widows were victimized. However, there's another scholar that I've been referring to a lot over the past a couple of months, named Amy Levine. Amy Levine is a Jewish scholar of the New Testament. In other words, she is a faithful Jew who is a highly renowned scholar on the New Testament, and I've enjoyed reading her work on the parables of Jesus from her story, uh, from her book called Short Stories by Jesus, because I like reading from a woman's perspective. Uh, that's helpful to me as I'm speaking uh, to uh, both men and women, obviously. But I also have enjoyed reading this from the perspective of a faithful Jew who's looking at the Scripture through the eyes of Judaism, which um, uh, is, of course, the context in which Jesus was speaking at this time. And she said something fascinating, something I, I, I had never thought about. Here's what she wrote. Remember, Snodgrass says that widows were victims, and that, in fact, is true. They were, in fact, often victimized. Here's what uh, Amy Levine writes. Biblical widows are the most, let me emphasize it properly, biblical widows are the most unconventional of conventional figures expected to be weak, they move mountains. Expected to be poor, they prove savvy managers. Expected to be exploited, they take advantage where they find it. And then she takes us on a journey from all the way back in Genesis uh, to the Bible's first official widow, a woman named Tamar, all through Scripture and names widow after widow after widow, who although victimized, decided not to be a victim, but to, to take agency 
to be responsible to take action to affect a different circumstance than the one in which they found themselves unjustly placed in. Uh, some of these names you'll know, others of them you won't, but, but Naomi, Ruth, Orpha, Abigail, the wise woman of Tekoa who confronted King David, the widow of Zarephath who fed either Elijah or Elisha, I'm sorry, don't remember, I've got them confused, Judith, all Amy Levine goes on to say, manifest agency and all defy the convention of the poor and dependent woman. The so-called importuning, and she's talking about the way things were then. The so-called importuning widow of Luke 18, the widow about which Jesus told this story, epitomizes the strength, cleverness, and very problematic motives of many of her predecessors. And then she writes, Jesus' parables give women agency. In other words, they take control. They act to produce a preferred result. They represent themselves. They become their own agents to affect change. It's obvious in this parable that this widow decided to not writhe in her victimization, which no doubt was real, but to take assertive action, even aggressive action, to seek justice. In other words, she's saying, I want things to be made right here. And she actually seems to be asking for more than justice or just making things right. She's seeking for vindication, even vengeance. Again, Levine says, most translations have the widow seeking justice, but the Greek term behind the English does not use the term justice. Rather, she is asking to be avenged. She's asking for more than justice or just for things to be made right. She's seeking vindication, even vengeance. This is a tough woman. She doesn't just want her money back. She doesn't just want her property returned. She also wants the person who did her this injustice to be punished. She wants vengeance. And her self-advocacy is so powerful that this judge who Jesus said didn't fear God or care about people gave her what she wanted. Luke chapter 18, verse 4, finally, the judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. This expression keeps bothering me, or in some translations, it says, wears me out comes from the sport of boxing at that time and be, can, can be translated and is translated in some translations as the judge saying, I'm afraid that she's going to come and give me a black eye. The NIV says, I'm afraid she's going to come and attack me. Again, other translations, and evidently what this is really saying is, I'm afraid she's going to come and give me a black eye. All right. Let's dig into the interpretation of this parable. It's going to take a minute, uh, guys. It's going to take me a few minutes to get to the application part, which I think, if you can stay awake till then, will be very meaningful to you, okay? Uh, it, it is certainly to me. So this is another what's called a how much more parable. 
We told uh, a story, a parable last week, which was a how much more parable. Um, And this is a how much more parable as well, which is to say that when Jesus would tell a story, he would say, if a human being would act this way and it produce a positive result and this human being would be deficient and um, even sinful and messed up in their motives in some way, how much more would God, who's not a messed up human being, do the thing that needs to be done to produce a desired result? This is a how much more parable. The Lord said at the end of the parable, Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge says. What did the unjust judge say? The unjust judge said, even though I don't fear God and even though I don't care about people, yet I'm going to give this woman what she wants or else I'm afraid she's going to come and give me a black eye. So Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, who is not like the unjust judge, Bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? Look, guys, the point is not. This is going to surprise some of us. I have to tell you, when I dug into this parable, this surprised me because the truth of the parable is different than the way I've heard it taught when I was a kid. The point is not that we should badger God with prayer or that we should give him a black eye. The point is that God is not like the unjust judge. He, in fact, is just. He, in fact, does love people. And if an assertive widow can wear out an unjust judge who does not love people and cause him to give her justice, how much more will God, who is not like that guy, give us justice when we constantly approach him in prayer and faith? So we must turn victimization into agency by not giving somebody a black eye, but by always praying, not giving up, and having faith in God. I'll say it again. I know some of you are, are, a number of you are taking notes, which is good. It helps you remember what's being taught and uh, not just kind of leave your, fly out of your brain, you know, a few minutes from now. We must turn victimization into agency by always praying, not giving up, and having faith in God. The key to interpreting this parable is found in the verse leading into it and the verse coming out of it. In the verse leading into it, Luke said, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Luke tells us what the parable's about. Jesus told this parable to his disciples so that they should always pray and not give up. And then at the end, Jesus said, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So the key is prayer, not giving up, and faith. That's what this parable is supposed to be about. Now, just a little bit more detail and then we'll get into the application part, okay? Is everybody doing okay? So, so uh, I didn't look closely after I said that in case my feelings got hurt by people who aren't. But. So, so the key to understanding the parable is in the verse leading into it, the verse 
finishing it when Jesus comments on it. But the bigger context is actually found in the previous chapter and really in the entire ministry and message of Jesus, which is ever and always about the coming of the kingdom of God. I know, guys, for those of you who've been listening to us teach uh, over the last number of months, we keep coming back to the subject of the kingdom of God, and the reason we keep coming back to the subject of the kingdom of God is because that's what Jesus talked about all the time. Over a hundred times in the gospel, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, or Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing. It's the idea that that heaven has come to earth in the person of Jesus, that it's that it's going to continue to come to the earth through the church and it's going to finally come to the earth on the last day and be seen visibly and rule over everything forever in 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 the world to come okay so jesus is constantly talking about that and he he, when uh we talk about why parables are important it's important because what parables help us do is help us hear and see things specifically jesus taught us about the kingdom of god okay so here's another kingdom of god thing luke chapter 17 leads in to this parable being told in luke chapter 18 verse 1 hey guys remember when you see chapter divisions and verses assigned in scripture that's not how it was written right that was put there by the translators the translators tried to organize it in a way where you could find the right verse basically okay um so so that's kind of like the library where where you can find the right thing but so when you when you say luke 17 and luke 18 when luke was writing this under the inspiration of the holy spirit he didn't say okay now i'm done with the thought in luke chapter 17 and i'm going to do a new thought in luke 18 actually there's a flow that's happening that begins in luke 17 with this verse luke 17 20 on being asked by the pharisees when the kingdom of god would come Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. In other words, you can't see it. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Some translations say the kingdom of God is among you. Some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus is essentially saying this. Someone came to him, and and here's, here's really what's going on. Hey, Jesus, you keep talking about how you've brought the kingdom of God to earth, but we don't see it. Where is it? And Jesus said, hey, look, guys, the kingdom of God as it exists now is not something that you can see, but it's here. It's here in me. The kingdom of God is among you. It's in your midst. Jesus was talking about himself and he was talking about the fact that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, would also be in the lives of his father, of of his followers. It was among them in his person. It would be in them through his spirit. Okay? So so let's read again. Once again, I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. It's here, but you can't see it. Nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What were people looking for? Where's your White House? Uh, where is your, where are your uh, 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 governmental buildings? Where are your armies? Where are, if you're going to bring a kingdom, you know, what they had in their mind was Rome. He's saying, I'm not bringing something you can see like that, but the kingdom is here nevertheless. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. 
There'll be times, he says, when you're going to wish you could see the kingdom, but you're not going to see it. Why do you, well, you wish you could see the kingdom? Because you're going to be in some situations where you're going to be wanting justice. You're going to be in some situations where the world's crazy. You're going to be in some situations where people are not doing you right. You're going to be in some situations and you feel like a victim. You're going to be in some situations where you feel like a widow who's been exploited by an entire system that's against you. And by specific people within it who've done something wrong to you. And you're going to say, where's the kingdom? I can't see it. And I want you to know that even though you're going to want to see it, you're not going to see it yet. The time is coming when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man when the kingdom of God is established at the last, on the last day. People will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning with, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. In other words, he says, the visible kingdom is coming in a way that you're going to see it. And he's talking about the second coming of Christ. He's talking about the last day when he will show up in a way where everybody in the world will know it. It'll be like lightning flashing across the entire sky. No one's going to be wondering about where the kingdom is on the last day. But he says, first, he, the Son of Man himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So let me try to sum up what we've just read. It's, it's somewhat complex, but, but, but it's simple at the same time. Where's the kingdom, Jesus? You keep talking about the kingdom. Where is it? You can't see it, he says, but it's here. Now, during this it's here, but you can't see it season, which will include me, Jesus says, having to suffer and be rejected by his generation. There are going to be times when crazy things are happening and you're going to be saying, where is the kingdom? We need the kingdom. Where is it? But you're not going to see it. But, but just know because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that it isn't coming because it is coming. The, the time will come when it's going to come in such power that it's going to be like lightning flashing across the sky. But in the meantime, between now and and then, he says, I want you to know that even though you don't see it, it's here. And even though you are, are, are sometimes feeling victimized by the way things are in this world, I still want you to keep coming to me in prayer and asking me for justice. But you're not going to have to try to give me a black eye because I'm not like some judge who doesn't fear myself or care about you. In fact, I want to quickly bring justice to my people. I am going to make things right. I just want you to keep praying. I want you to keep believing. And I don't want you to give up. One other thing, and then here comes the application. Although I think most of you've got it already. That won't keep me from preaching longer though, just so you know. I've used this illustration before, um, pardon me for, for, for perhaps overusing it, but I, I realize it can be kind of confusing. The kingdom came in Jesus, the kingdom's coming through us, 
the kingdom will come. You can't see the kingdom now, but you do see the effects of the kingdom. We're not, the kingdom isn't going to be fully realized till the last day when it's visibly seen. But that doesn't mean it isn't here. It doesn't mean it isn't working. It doesn't mean it isn't powerful. It is. It's like Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. He said, you can't see the wind. The Spirit's like the wind. But you can see the results of the wind, right? You can see the leaves blowing on the tree. We can't see the kingdom, but we do see the effects of the kingdom. But we don't fully see the effects of the kingdom. We see the kingdom, but we see the kingdom in the context of a world that's crazy. He's allowed it to be this way. He decided that there was going to be a period of time where the kingdom was invisible and not fully realized, yet there and accessible, but it was going to exist in a world that's nuts. Part of this is, during this time, he's deciding who he wants to be with him in that visible kingdom and rule and reign over the universe forever, see? And he's not just like, you know, you don't just... So, so we have to be in a place. God's always setting up a choice for human beings from Adam and Eve on. And part of the clash of kingdoms and part of how we live in a crazy world is God developing us into the people that we need to be, not just for now, but for forever. All right, here's the illustration I've used before. It's like the, the, the season between D-Day and V-Day. Second World War, May 1944, the Allies invaded Normandy. Uh, and Normandy, France, and it was a terrible, bloody battle, but when the battle was won, everyone knew that the war in Europe was essentially over because they'd won the victory that had to be won. However, the war actually did go on for almost another year until May of 1945. From June of 44, D-Day, May of 45, uh, V-Day, there's almost a year of war where, it, it, as, if I remember my history correctly, more Americans were killed during that, that year of war than in all the rest of the war preceding it. The victory was won, but there still had, everybody knew it, it's over. It's over. But there's this mopping up operation. Think Saving Private Ryan. They get on the, on the beachhead and a lot of people die and then they go and they start taking city after city after city because Hitler knew he was done but he hadn't given up, right? And so he keeps fighting and there's this battle that goes on. When you think about what Jesus came to do, think, I mean this is a, a, a feeble metaphor, but you can't capture what Jesus came to do in some metaphor like this or, 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 or simile or Somebody later can tell me what it actually is. Jesus shows up. He brings his kingdom. And through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, he does what needs to be done to secure the victory that needs to be won over sin and death forever. There's nothing more that can be done in order for the victory to be secure, at least by God. But he decided that he was going to let us fight to enforce the victory that he had won until the last day when final victory is declared. He has his own reasons for it. We don't understand it. I could go off on that for a while as to why I think that is. I just made a comment about how part of it is it gives us an opportunity to make a choice between good and evil and we engage in the fight and we become the kind of people he wants to rule and reign with him forever. But whatever, however you want to describe it, it's the way things are. We are in the period between D-Day and V-Day and there is a clash of kingdoms and there's a battle going on and part of that is, is people get hurt and people get wounded and crazy things happen and everything isn't all the way it should be and sometimes things happen to us that aren't right and there's a need for justice and he says I want you to know justice is coming but I also want you to know that we can taste that in our lives 
today. We all have situations in our lives where we feel or are victimized by the way things are in this world and the way people are in this world. The answer for us is not to continue to be a victim, but to exercise agency. But the way we exercise agency is not like people in the world exercise agency, at least not ultimately. We exercise agency through prayer and faith and not giving up. We believe that God is the one who is going to make everything right, and God is the one who is going to bring justice. We're not give black eye people. We're pray and believe that God is at work, and he's working justice, and he's working everything out in a way that will be fully realized in the age to come. So, a very personal illustration, and it's a little raw and... uh, I'm not sure exactly how to tell it because part of it's still underway. Um, So, my parents, my parents um, were incredibly healthy into their early 80s. My dad started having some memory issues, nothing too dramatic, but we started noticing it. And uh, he had to have open heart surgery, and he had... open heart surgery. It didn't go well. They ended up having to open him up twice in the same day, putting him under anesthesia twice in the same day. And when my dad finally, after several days, woke up, he was not the same man that he had been a few days before. And that little bit of slippage in his memory had become uh, uh, very dramatic. And um, It didn't take long for him to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's that had been um, that had been rapidly advanced by this this heart surgery experience, and all of a sudden, my you know my dad and I are 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 you know very close and in you know full blown conversations about things in their life and and their their future plans, and then all of a sudden I can't have a coherent conversation with him, and my mom. Uh, is very troubled by all of this. We've been married over 60 years, love each other dearly. Uh, I can't even describe the love they have for each other. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's not the same man she's been married to forever, and she starts to experience uh, a, a good bit of confusion and some memory loss as well. And, and my sister and I are, you know, all of a sudden in a situation where we hadn't had uh, the conversations that needed to be had about what to do if something like this happened, it happened so quickly. And um, so we have to take control of their lives, my younger sister, uh, Tanya, and I. And uh, I, this has all happened in the last, I don't know, 18 months, two years. Um, I've, I've become their power of attorney, and I'm in charge of all of their affairs. She's become their medical uh, power of attorney and is in charge of all their medical stuff. We moved them from Columbus, Ohio, to which they retired, had a place they loved. We thought about bringing them here. I don't know if you know that New Jersey's a little expensive. And uh, we ended up moving them where my sister's at in Kansas City, and my sister's doing a marvelous job taking care of them as best she can. Well, we first of all move them to, a, to an independent living facility, and uh, uh, they couldn't live independently. It lasted about, you know, we went through everything it took to get in this place and all the money and you you guys understand craziness. Get them in, last a few months, they can't be independent. 
So then we go through the whole thing again, and we move them into an assisted living facility. Uh, and uh, it lasts for about two or three months. My mom can't really be in the same place with my dad. He's uh, uh, really have, having uh, really deep issues with anger, and he doesn't know where he is at half the time, and wandering around at night. And Anyway, I'm sorry for boring you with all the details, except to say that we, then we had to quickly make a decision that we were going to have to separate them. This couple has been married for over 60 years, and my mom stays in the assisted living facility, and we moved my dad last uh, August, I guess, uh, into um, a, no, just, just this past December, so it's not been a year, into, an, into a memory care center. And so now they're living separately. Well, in the meantime, we have all these issues with all three institutions, the independent living, well, actually, I have issues with the hospital that, did the, that didn't do the surgery right in the first time, but that's a long way away. I dealt with that in my own mind. But now we've got issues with all three institutions, just the nature of things, money and billing and how long you've been there and you break the, and, uh, just craziness. Nurses, new nurses, new doctors, new pharmacies, new this, new that, new that. I didn't, even, I didn't know anything about any of this. And, and a number of you I know are in a similar stage in your life. How many of you are dealing with something with your aged parents? I hope my kids aren't raising their hands when I say that. But So anyway, then we hire an elder care attorney in order to attempt to protect some of their assets while uh, availing ourselves of some of the, the, the help that the government promises to people who've been paying into this system for their entire lives. And so now we've got in, in, in this mix now, we now have an attorney and we now have Medicare and we now have Medicaid. I'm a power of attorney trying to be a pastor of a local church and uh, all of a sudden my parents, I mean, I'm doing their taxes. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's crazy. Those of you who don't know me, I had a full head of hair 18 months ago. But, but, but here's what, what ends up happening. When it's all said and done, we end up with issues in, with each institution and the lawyer, all of whom at some point it feels like that they, they well, like they're the unjust judge. They don't fear God or care about people. Now, I'm, I'm sure that's an unfair statement. It's possible that that's an unfair statement. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm dealing with, because of the compressed time here, I'm dealing, I'm over my head, I have no idea what's going on, I'm a world I've involved in, I'm trying to take care of my parents, I'm trying to get justice for them, I'm trying to get what's right. And we end up, even with the lawyer, when it's all said and done, taking a lot of money and at the end leaving us in a situation where we owe a lot of people a lot of money and she didn't really do what she should have done. And I'm trying to think whether or not to hire a lawyer to sue the lawyer who was supposed to take care of my dad and mom. I seldom feel like a victim. You rarely hear me talk in the language of victimhood, okay? Okay. But because I was engaged with these competing institutions who I felt like were trying each in their own way to exploit my parents, get their money. And again, I'm sure there's some unfairness in what I'm saying. They, people deserve to be paid for their work, but we're talking about it. it, 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 it. Things weren't right. 
I felt overwhelmed and helpless and angry, and I wanted to give somebody a black eye. I talked to an elder care advocate. I considered, again, hiring another lawyer to get my lawyer to perform. I had tough conversations with each institution. Uh, Frankly, all I wanted was justice for my parents, but at some point, I'll confess, I wanted vengeance too. I did everything I knew to exercise agency. Do you understand? I did everything I knew to assert myself and deal with things, and I believe that I should have, and I'm still working on some of this. But at some point, I realized that my ultimate agency was to come to God every day in prayer and say, I am asking you for justice. And to believe when I ask him for justice that he would make things right. And that's what I did. I had a very distinct turning point this past summer during my sabbatical where I was dealing with such anger and feeling such helplessness and trying to get people on the phone when I realized I needed to let God be God in this situation and to remember that I wasn't him. And that ultimately, I didn't need to give somebody a black eye much as I wanted to, and though it would have made me feel better for a few minutes, I needed to talk to God who knows how to make things right and who also said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And as I made that turn and I decided to funnel all this stuff I was feeling into simply coming to a just God and saying, you said, Lord, that if your people would keep coming to you and asking you for justice, that you would come quickly and that you would bring justice. God, I know that's not going to be final until the end of time, but right now I'm asking now that your invisible kingdom would work somehow in this world that would begin to make things right for my parents in this situation. And I began to feel God at work. See, we turn victimization into agency when we pray and faith and in faith and do not give up. You can see what Jesus was saying. He was saying this widow was a victim and she went to this unjust judge and he was afraid of her and because he was afraid of her, God says that's not how things are here. That's the point he's making. He's saying if that unjust judge finally did what he did, then imagine what I'm going to do. All you have to do is just keep coming back. Just keep asking me for what you need. Just keep asking me for justice and if you pray and if you have faith and if you won't give up justice will come we turn victimization into into agency when we pray in faith and do not give up and i feel especially impressed to say this in this room to people like me we turn anger into faith when we pray and do not give up we cannot be angry people even in the face of all the injustice in this world there is a way that we deal with that that's different with the, than the way someone who does not know God deals with that it doesn't mean that we don't do everything we can to practice agency in this world and to deal with unjust systems and to deal with injustice wherever we find it it doesn't mean that we do but we we're not we're not black eye give people black eye type of people we're not angry obsessed anxious staying up all night raging about what's going on we are people who take all of that and come and say heavenly father you see what's going on here i'm asking you 
to bring justice. Now, again, that doesn't mean then we don't go to work the next day to bring justice, but we don't go to work as angry, enraged, give people a black eye people. We go to work like people who trust in God, who know everything's going to work out, who know that God's at work, who knows that even we can't, even if we can't see it, it's still going on. See, this is why the Apostle Paul could say to the Romans, Romans 12, 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think the bottom line is when it comes to the things that cause us to be victimized, to feel victimized, is do we trust God to handle this thing or not? It's like, it's like the old riddle, Anne Lamont said this. So what's the difference between you and God? And the answer is he knows he's not you. See, we're trying to deal with things in our lives as if we're God, as if it's all up to us. But, but it's like someone else said, someone said, you know, uh, when, when, when we pray and we let God be God, when we pray, we put God on the hook where God belongs. In other words, God wants to be put on the hook. God is saying, if you won't be vengeful, I'll be vengeful for you. Now, you can go be that vengeful person, or you can put me on the hook to deal with this thing in the right way at the right time. So, you know, it's like we, there, 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 there's, there's an ultimate future kingdom piece to this, and on the day of the Lord reality. In other words, some things aren't going to be finally made right until that day when the kingdom of God shows up and it's fully realized, and it's like lightning flashing across the sky. Jesus said, in the meantime, you're going to have some things to deal with. In fact, he says, I have some things to deal with myself. I'm going to die. But don't think that that means you should quit coming and asking God for justice. There's a future Justice coming and guys, judgment. A lot of people have a negative idea. They, they don't feel right talking about judgment that's coming, but judgment is coming. If judgment is not coming, there is not justice. There are going to be some things that are going to be judged. Evil is going to be dealt with in the future. This is part of how God proves himself as just. But we, we see glimpses of that future reality in our lives now. For instance, the story I told about my parents. I, I know that ultimately all of that will get sorted out in the end, literally, and that God will deal with each one of us involved, including me. It's possible that I've been wrong in some ways in my conduct. I'm a human being, right? So if, if something needs to be dealt with or made right in me, God's going to deal with them 
God's going to deal with me in a way that will make things right. But I always talk about how that whatever's true in the world to come, we taste of now. Romans chapter 8 teaches us now. We taste of future glory. So even though ultimate justice is coming in the future, I'm already beginning as I've now started to come to God believing he is the just judge. I am starting to see some things, a number of things made right in this situation now. In fact, when I changed my, I'm going to give them a black eye attitude to, I'm going to ask God to bring justice. In the next few weeks, thing after thing began to be resolved in each of these situations. It's not all finished yet, but I see God making things right now. I'm experiencing some vindication now. And most importantly, my parents are and will continue to be cared for. See, God is just. He does care for people, and he will make things right. And I exercise agency when I keep praying and believing and when I don't give up. You just, guys, you just have to keep coming back and saying, I'm, this thing still isn't right. I'm asking you again. Please, make it right. You don't need to bat, he doesn't need to be badgered. He wants you to approach him in faith. I hear people say that. We're going we're gonna, to uh, bother God with our prayers. You don't need to bother him with your prayers. You just need to pray. And just keep coming back. And you come back with faith. You come back with faith. And you don't prayer, faith, and don't give up. Prayer, faith, and don't give up. This is the lesson of the parable, knowing that he will bring justice. And I know sometimes it's like, well, how long? And Jesus warned us, Luke 17, he warned us. He said, you're going to be wanting this thing to get resolved, but there's some stuff that has to get worked out through history, okay? And so don't get too upset. It's just the way things are. It's like the, the guy who said, if I can remember this properly, he said to God, he said, uh, God, how long is a second to you? And this guy said, and, 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 and he said, God said back, a second to me is like a million years. And the guy said, okay, well, how much, uh, how much, is, a, is, a, how much is, a, is a penny to you? And God said, well, a, a penny to me is it's like a, a million dollars. And the guy said, well, God, will you give me a million, will, will you give me a penny? And God said back, uh, yes, in a second. <laughs> I think I butchered that, but you get the point. <laughs> How long is this going to take, God? How long before the thing that I know that needs to happen to make this right is going to take? I, I give God a second. He's got it figured out. It may not happen in, in, in the time that you think it should. You've got it. See, part of faith is being faithful. Part of faith is Galatians 6, don't be weary in doing well because in good season you will reap. Part of faith is you just keep getting up every day and doing the right thing regardless of the result you immediately see. You're faithful because you have faith that God is at work. He's wor he truly is working everything out for your good. You've got to trust him. Don't be angry and don't be a victim. Come to God in prayer and faith. Would you please stand with me?